Welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. I'm your host, Chris Revel, coming to you from the Cat Cave in Warwick, Rhode Island. I'm calling. I'm recording this on my phone in my bedroom. Uh, the way things are looking right now, I probably won't be able to record out of the studio for at least a couple of months. So thanks for bearing with us for the sound quality, which it's good. It's just not as good as I want it to be. You know, I would like to purchase a, a better microphone for home. Uh, at the moment, that's a little difficult because of the situation we're in. Um, but, you know... For now, we're good. If anyone's looking out to make any sort of donations, I know there's a lot of people who are asking for your money who need a lot more. So uh, if you want to, you can help us out at uh, paypal.com slash Let's Chat Podcast. We'll send you stickers, a uh, magnet as a thank you. And honestly, if you want those anyway, you don't have the means, just let us know. We'll still send you some. Um, and if you want to help the show out, you know, tell a friend. That, that's probably really the best thing you could do is tag us on social media and tell a friend uh, to listen. That's really the, one of the greatest ways to help grow the show. Um, so the way this episode came to be. Uh, I've been a fan of Alex Schumacher for a while. Like We've been running in the same like independent podcast circle, Twitter, social media people. I had listened to him on some podcasts back in the day. So I've been following for a while. My social media manager, Christopher Ball, uh, put us in touch because I guess they're, they know each other and some fast are Chris, fucking Chris knows everyone he, and he's got a good eye for talent. Um, so we set it up. I was like, hell yeah, let's do this. I'm a, I'm a huge Calvin and Hobbes fan, but as, but, but in terms of comics, it's kind of my, that's really kind of, the, I kind of peak right there. I don't know much more than that. Uh, I've definitely skimmed through some graphic novels and I've, I've tried to get into them and I like superhero movies, but it was cool to talk to someone who makes like, uh, like more like comic strips and like comic comics and graphic novels. And, uh, you know, and as Alex taught me in this episode that there's a huge, uh, like industry of comics and graphic novels that have nothing to do with superheroes, and it's kind of a U.S. misconception. Like I, I, th- you know, Marvel and DC. That's all I really ever thought about. And it was cool. Um, like I've been reading, so I got to you know getting prepared, reading a lot of his work. Like uh, decades of in experience on Anti Express or Mister Butterchips on Drunk Monkeys Webs comics was uh, fucking awesome. And um, you know, we talk in this episode a lot about uh alex is really open he wrote a comic about his uh, recovery from alcoholism and i i work in the behavioral health field i've worked with in the recovery community a lot so it was cool to learn about art and then kind of seeing this crossover i, I just didn't going into this was like oh i get i bet some of my job my my day job is gonna cross over with this uh underground comics and graphic novel creator and it did and it, I'm, I'm i'm happy that it did and i man i learned a lot uh, alex is a fucking talented motherfucker uh you know he's worked for viper comics dreamworks our Canius Studios, but you know this this cat's all over the place. He's busy, busy. Um, you know, in the episode, I think we do our best not to talk about the, uh, the 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 coronavirus. I don't recall how much, but I think we're almost trying to get not. I'm I'm gonna try to make the podcast a place where, and for my own sanity, to have a place where I can talk to another human for an hour and not always be about that stuff. So it probably will come up a little bit, but we'll try to just not the thing we want to talk. I want to talk about the most. Uh, anyway, you can find us on uh, at Let's Chat Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I've got a lot of big stuff coming down the pipeline. I know if you've been a regular listening, you're probably waiting like, what? Uh, some of that stuff, we had a huge halt of a lot of things that we were doing because of uh, the whole coronavirus. All of us are myself and uh, executive producer Will and producer Brianna, social media Chris Ball, and uh, copy editor Max Baines, and hopefully bringing on someone else pretty soon. Got to give them a, give them a call tonight. Uh, but uh, anyway, um, 
you know, Max is in California and like Brianna's in Virginia. Will and I are here. All of us have different situations with their jobs or soon to be lack of jobs for some people and uh, kids and family. So, you know, we're all doing this out of our own time. So we're we're moving along. But uh, if you have any skill set or you're bored and you're home and you want to learn or there you want to get some experience working on a podcast, reach out to us at Let's Chat Podcast on all the social media and Let's chat podcast at gmail.com. Anyway, uh, let's see. Let's let's get into it. I don't want to ramble anymore. So you're born in Cali. Yeah, I guess I just assumed you. I don't know why. I just assumed that you and Ball were in New Hampshire for some reason. That's so funny. Uh, I know. No, we just have known each other for like a year and a half or two years maybe at this point. Um, and he's just, yeah, kind of helped me network a little bit. He's good. Good guy. He's one of them good guys. Cause, yeah, I must have. Must have. I, I'm trying to think because I, I must have found your work through them. Adrian has issues way back when. And that makes then, sense. Um, I just saw I was lurking Facebook, and your friends are Curtis uh, Paven, who I don't know in real oh, life, right. but he's uh, he lives in Rhode Island. We're low, we talked online, but we never actually met. But he's uh, he actually lives around here. Oh, cool! Yeah, we're Twitter peeps. So that's too funny. Um, so what is your um, what is your I'm gonna say like, I'm trying to think where to start. Like, so what what what's your experience for um, coming into like I know like so you write like what had possibly at one point been called the dying art form, which it's nice to see that that's no longer the case. Uh, yeah. But what, But how long have you been doing uh, like comic strips for, like comic comics? I mean, I've been doing them since they were a dying art form. And it that's was just, yeah, uh, you know, for me, and I think a lot of other people, it's just something that's innate to us and nat- comes naturally as far as something that we want to do and feel very strongly about producing so i started out it was probably 2002 i want to say and at the time i was trying to be a syndicated comic strip artist so like newspaper comics um and then but when you were do- was- when you were doing that were you just like thrown like just like just hopeless about it and i know it sounds bad i'm a huge waterson fan I know that's the era where the Sunday paper was just, you know, the, the comic strip was just getting smaller and smaller yeah. and smaller and smaller, and like, which, which just led to his frustration to leaving. Sure, and that only, you know, continued to increase, unfortunately. So I was kind of trying to get into syndication towards the, the like, tail end of newspaper circulation at its height. So about six or seven years into submitting to syndicates and trying to get a comic strip picked up, I uh, just went straight into comic books from there, decided to try my hand at that, and then took a couple different detours into, you know, playing music and trying to uh, get some animated series sold, and then in 2015, met with Francis, who runs Antics Press, and we started Decades of Inexperience then, and and from that point on, it's just been, you know, the sort of slice of life or 
you know, satirical comics that I've been doing since then. What, what, were your, what, um, did you get any, any of the animated stuff? Did you get anything that, that make it to air? No, 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 no. Yeah. Um, and part of that was because I didn't have any experience in the animation industry. I was working with a talent manager, uh, named Bull Swift who works out of LA and we were introduced by a mutual friend. So he ended up liking my work and liking my style of art and the way I wrote my humor. So he decided to start working with me and we, I, I went down to LA and pitched to, you know, Nickelodeon, Cartoon Network, Disney had the opportunity to meet them, which was, I mean, just a great experience in and of itself, but no, nothing ever went even to, you know, uh, uh development. <laughs> so I didn't even get that far. Which, which is, that's not too uncommon either from my understanding. No, like, it's, it's like, it's like rare as hell to even get anything on the air and then it's probably going to cancel that. Oh, anyway. yeah. It's like, there's only well, about, like, what's yeah. that? No, I was going to say that's the thing is it's difficult enough just to get a development deal and then you get the development deal and you can sometimes then go from there to creating a pilot. And then if the pilot gets picked up, that's when it goes to series. So you have all of these hurdles to jump over, which most people, most series that are even put in development never see the light of day. So there's only like one Lauren Bershode and like one Matt Groening and then everyone else is kind of fucked. Right. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> there's, there's not much left for the rest of us. What were your um, go-to like Sunday comics growing up that like led you to want to want to make these? I'm assuming you're a Calvin and Hobbes fan. Cause. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I grew up with Bill Larson. It was great. Yeah. Uh, Gary Larson's far side yeah. uh, was one that I always loved. Uh, and there were a number that came out, like, as I was growing up, there was Get Fuzzy, which I really liked. Uh, there was Sherman's Lagoon, which I liked. Uh, Better for Worse, Better or for Worse, rather, by oh, Lynn Johnson. Yeah. I used to like I those love. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Were you a Dilbert fan? Not so much. <laughs> I liked the cartoon, but I don't, I don't recall reading the strip because I was too young. Oh, okay. Yeah, the strip, I mean, the comic strip itself was not really, you know, aimed at me. I wasn't his demographic because I wasn't really in the corporate world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but, same. Yeah, yeah. so then also finding out later on that he's just a complete prick of a person. Holy sort of verified. shit. Like, what a yeah. weird, did you, like, from little bit I know of him, he, like, now, I think this is true, so if I'm speaking out of school out there, someone can tell me wrong, but... He has a house made in the shape of Dilbert. I mean, that sounds like he, something megalomaniacal that he would do, right? I mean, yeah. it makes sense. I and don't know he, if it's true. I think that I think that's a fact. And he has like um, he had some weird condition where he didn't talk, like lost his voice and couldn't talk for years. That was mm -hmm. never like like it almost sounded like some Better Call Saul shit, like like a made up illness, yeah. and then. He's got some weird issues with his like wife. Is his his ex wife is like his assistant. And, like I know he's a huge like politically. Him and I are not aligned, but he's like borderline no. fascist. Yeah, he's also a misogynist and just sounds like a complete asshole. Like I mean, just like one of the shittiest humans. But I mean, I love the cartoon. But I mean, <laughs> fine with me. But that was never one. I'm a I was a big Garfield fan. Yeah, I think I liked Garfield when I was a kid. Was I didn't younger. really read it as it. Yeah, because. When it started sort of transitioning into the Paws Incorporated thing where it was essentially clip art with recycled gags, I I lost interest very quickly. Have you ever seen Garfield without Garfield? 
Now that strip, on the other hand, I absolutely love. Obsessed, yeah. I, yeah, same. it's I, great. I've I, I've pushed a couple people or directed a couple people towards that site because it's just it's so much more brilliant than the actual strip. That's so funny. I've, I I read um, there's a great book called the well there's a documentary called Looking for Calvin and Hobbes I think no no I'm oh, sorry sure. Dear Mr About Watterson. Watson. There's mm-hmm. a documentary, Dear Mr. Waters, and the book is called Looking for Calvin Hobbes. It's the unauthorized um, oral history of Bill Watterson, which was – it's oh, an incredible, yeah. incredible book. I've got the – my brother had got it for me for Christmas a few years back, and I got the interview, the opportunity to interview the author. And um, But Watterson, like, just that guy is just, like – he's the complete opposite of a Scott Adams. We're like just – man, yeah, sure. the integrity he has for the, for the, for the comic strip is just, like – the fact that he still, to this day, will not sue anyone, I think outside of, like, hate speech, he won't stop anyone from using Calvin and Hobbes. Right. Which is... Yeah, it's pretty incredible. He's turned down billions and billions and billions of dollars, what could have been billions of dollars in license and deals. And you would think that, because of all that, it would have, like, disappeared. But I mean, I have a Calvin Hobbes tattoo, but, like, it's feels like the it's <laughs> almost gotten even stronger because of that. But then, I don't know, it's... But the whole, and the, yeah, but, sort of the lore of it, right? Yeah, because that's all you have is the comic strips. And I mean, I think some of that was kind of by design and not that he had this ultimate agenda. But I think part of it was he didn't want to ruin the magic of the comic strip. Yeah, that's from what I got from the book. It just sounded like he just believed in his art so much where he just didn't like believe like, I don't know. He just kind of wanted it to be. It's almost I don't know if it was intentional or not or if it's the way it worked out, but it almost turned into like what would become like what I, the kind of art I buy at Comic-Con because like then you, cause there's no voice for Calvin or how everyone has their own different experience to it and everything. There's just so much fan fandom yeah. around it, which is, yeah. just, I mean, I go on, you can go on YouTube and watch like people have made cartoons and videos and every so often, every few years, there's like a few th- a thing will pop up or someone made like a story of Susie Jerkins on her deathbed, which is just like, no, it was Calvin on his death. It was bed. Calvin. No, That's I remember right. that. That was actually really poignant. Brought me and I t- remember getting a little emotional reading it. Destroyed. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because like I feel like I had um, you know, I loved the song, I loved the comics, and then like you know, years went by, and it wasn't until my brother had got me that book where I, I think it was my nephew was born too. Like I started rediscovering Calvin and Hobbes, and then and and my father-in-law and my brother-in-law are both, and my my wife's uh, brother and her dad. Uh, are still Sunday comic readers, and they, they, they my father-in-law hmm. still clips out strips and sends them to his friends by mail. It's like, that's awesome. It's so cool, and like I was like, yeah, you know, you, it, it's nice, and it's it's great to see that people like that the internet was able to kind of continue with it. Yeah, absolutely, and it feels like those sort of like tactile experiences are a lost interest, you, you know, to some degree. So that's kind of heartening to hear. I mean, even though he's in. Older gentlemen, it's still kind of heartening to hear that people are still sending physical copies of. Yeah, I feel like people are now maybe a little more inclined to buy like the book if you if you put out the book, but but like because there's no really where else puts out like a physical daily strip like even like the local papers not like just you know not you know like where you live in like like in Providence we have um the Rhode Island Monthly or PD Monthly or like there used to be the Phoenix which is like Boston Portland and Rhode Island Providence. Like those, like kind of indie. Even those, they didn't even have comic strips, and like it was just like they kind of unfortunately yeah, used to. disappeared. Yeah. Yeah, what? I mean, one of the, the alt weeklies. I know that's where uh, a guy that I really like named Durf Backdurf. You know, that was his bread and butter back in the day. 
a guy named Keith Knight too, uh, who does K Chronicles. I don't know if you've heard of that, but uh, Durf does My Friend Dahmer. So I know I, I know so the cool. two of them kind of started out in the alt weeklies, but those have kind of gone the way of the dodo at this point. Yeah, and I know like Life in Hell, like Matt Groening started in like all those. Like, oh right. As well, as well, which I guess he's probably like the guy that we'll point to, and that's the only one I can name. But outside of, but like I'll be honest, outside of um of what's his face, uh, Watterson, I don't have a ton of knowledge of your world, so I was actually excited to talk to you because like, um, I'm like to, I like to try to be a little more intellectually curious, so it's cool to learn about like different things and, uh, but I really like your, I like I like your work a lot. And um, so you. your ones, I was like, but the one, the, but um, I forgot the one you wrote, but it was the one about like you wrote about your recovery. Oh yeah, that was for a magazine called uh, Moonchild Magazine. So that was just sort of a one-off comic essay that I did for them, which was I think published earlier this year, like January. So um, is that different than doing something like decades of an experience? Where like, is that like, um. You said it's a comic essay, so is it like a way to ex- express your personal story, but you know, but nice, different? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I mean, maybe that's kind of a high-minded, uh, you know, title to attach, but it's a, you know, a short story, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so it is different because with something like decades of an experience, there's an overarching narrative that we follow and try to. Um, you know, develop as we go along. Whereas something like that, there's a very specific thing that I'm trying to express. So it's, uh, you know, sort of an economy of, of words and art and distilling it into this three page thing. So there is quite a bit of a different thought process that goes, you know, behind those two, um, different formats. How do you approach like writing uh, something personal, like writing a comic essay, writing a comic book, how do you, uh, writing an animated cartoon? Like, what is your writing process for all those things? Like, I feel like it's got to be so different because like a comic yeah. book, you want you you have like a limited space, and which you know when done well, it's incredible. But where like sure. a, a cartoon is going to be more dialogue. Right. Very much more dialogue driven and plot driven uh, as far as animated series are concerned Uh, with the comics, either web comics or comic books. You know, the way that I try to approach it is most of the time it's something in my past or in my life that I've either directly or indirectly experienced. So then I just try to I always compartmentalize it a little bit because I don't necessarily want to do memoir or biography Mm. so or autobiography rather so i usually it's called the um the tool is called romana clef which is essentially you take something from your life and then you create sort of a fictional version of it but it pretty closely follows what happened in your life so that's kind of how i approach Mm. my comics i mean then you have something like mr butterchips which is just sort of insane and and wacky and based more in satire so for something like that it's just you know kind of jotting down any crazy thoughts or, or you know the strip has also taken on politics a lot and it's you know people have asked me about that because it seems very political but the way i really think about it is it's more uh you know, delving into to, to the morality of those things as opposed to the the politics of them. 
Yeah, because I, I was reading some. I've read. Um, I've been read all your stuff because especially if it's like it's tagged, I'll forget which is which. But like when I yeah, read it, yeah, there's way too much of it. <laughs> which, but um, um, it's um not like political for the sense I don't get the sense that you're just trying to be like trying to grab the zeitgeist of the moment, be like so and so happened. But it's more about like a theme that's wrapped around something that's current, but it's also a little more timeless in that sense because it's like themes that are continuously happening. Yeah, that's kind of the idea behind it, and you know, to be real forthcoming uh i i kind of use it as a way for myself to vent you know without being too pedantic or uh i don't know judgmental online ah a good global citizen for just not shitting on everything <laughs> right <laughs> but at least do it in a, a, a nice way exactly through artistic expression <laughs> Okay. Now, when you're so, if you like, because I, I can't even fat. Like, writing is just such, I don't, not my thing to begin with. When you're writing a comic strip or a comic book or any or, or any of this stuff, um, I know this is gonna sound so lame, but like, do you start with the picture or the words first, or like in your experience? Yeah, and I think everybody's different in that, so it's not it's not a lame question at all, because uh, everybody's process, the way their minds work, are all so personal and and individualized. But the way that my process works is I usually start with the words first. I'll, I'll type out a script. Um, and while I'm doing that, I'll usually have ideas in my head for how I want the page to be laid out and how I want it to be um, sort of constructed and the eye flow and all of that kind of stuff. So I'll do little thumbnails while I'm writing as well at times. Mm. But it definitely starts with the, the text, the words for me. And then flows, hopefully, if it's done well, seamlessly into the illustration. So you're not dreaming the illustrations? <laughs> no, I I don't know what I dream these days, man. I feel like I don't even remember my dreams. Oh, my God, me neither. And I know that they say... I mean, I know like, we, a, like a sociopath or something. Yeah, I know we all have them, but I forgot. I remember I was like, getting worried about it. And I had to talk to my therapist about it. And it, it just, it's something to do with your... Um, um, if just like if you don't if you're not hitting REM sleep enough and from my experience too, he's uh, that makes sense. explaining to me too that uh people with like I have ADHD but people have ADHD or any sort of like processing issues to begin with it um <clears throat> it's not that you don't remember them well he says there's no such it's not memory it's not you can't remember it, you just can't recall them anyway they're already harder yeah. to recall because like essentially your brain is kind of deleting those memories so people with like like uh, if you have like any sort of like issues of processing or ADHD like me, it's just like adds a layer to it. So it's like, it's like, yeah, it, it makes plenty of sense. It's like, you're like yeah. it's, they're happening. You're just, you're not going to recall them probably ever very rarely, which is pretty much what happens to me. So most, I, I mean, I've had ideas come to me in dreams. I know that sounds very cliche, but it, it, no, it does to, happen. And I think that's, that's pretty common for creative people, but I've definitely had ideas, you know, come through me that way. And, the main thing that I've learned <laughs> is to write them down immediately because yes. if you don't, you tell yourself, this is such a good idea. There's no way that I'm going to forget this. And you do every time. So if there's one piece of advice <laughs> I have for people, it's when you have an idea, make sure you write it down. Oh my God. Do you ever do the thing where you do that? But then you don't, then you end up remembering that you wrote it down more than the fact that you actually wrote it down. Like I don't even need to look at the thing anymore. Cause like I, I remember the act of writing it down more than the actual thing. 
Right, and that's that's a pretty proven educational technique too. Is the whole idea behind taking notes? You know, when you're writing them down, is that's also a different way that you're not only interpreting them, but but learning them and retaining them. So I think there is that can be applied a little bit to that as well. So you write the idea down, and then it's in there. But the thing is, then you think about all the other times that you didn't write it down and thought you'd remember it, and you don't. So (laughs) it just. Yeah, it's just worth it to write it down, even if you do remember it later. Um, so I really want to talk to you about your recovery comic, if, if you're cool with it, because I mean, I'm going to sure. imagine yeah. that you must be. Um, so I don't know if you know or not. but yeah, I, I mean, I put that comic out there, so I think that was kind of opening up myself to any questions about yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. For conversations, yeah. I'm um, part of my job. I'm like in the process of getting my LCDP, so I'm like, I, I'm a drug counselor, so I work in the recovery oh, cool. community. So, and I was like reading it, I was like, oh my God, I'm bringing this to the next ILP for people. Cause I think one of the things I always stress when I'm like running the groups or with people is like new, especially people like newly into recovery is like when you stop using, you have this kind of a gift slash curse of time. And yeah. it's, but it also can be a great time to like utilize that time to put your efforts towards something you may have never done or wanted to do. And I always exp- encourage you. And, people just to go more for the arts and stuff just because but or or whatever but so it's just um you know because ultimately at the end of the day your story is the only thing that you have that is so unique to you and there's but it's so interesting but um what is your what how long were you um how long were you using if you don't mind me asking no i don't and so my story was mainly just about alcohol i i never really you know was addicted to anything I don't want to say harder than that because alcohol comes with its fair share of well, horrifying think, problems. It makes so, you feel better. You can only die from withdrawing from heroin and alcohol. So it's pretty fucking right. hard. No, I, I actually think alcohol is like the hardest that people like, not you, but like society is so like kind of cool with it, but like it, it's really bad. I mean, I'm not saying it should be illegal, but it like it's really bad. I mean, it's fun. It shouldn't be legal, but I think because it is legal everywhere, well, except for Utah. Um, Wait, uh, really? I think, yeah. I, I mean, well, there's like communities, but they, there's, I remember reading about this. I don't actually know if it's completely I know like true. Dry towns. But I've, I've heard of those. There are dry towns, and I know in Utah specifically, the, the, one, the towns that aren't dry, they have to make specially made beers that have lower alcohol content. Oh, and don't they have like a weird law like you can't yeah. make it in front of you? They have to do it behind – they have all sorts of obscure alcohol Oh, I laws. think that – yeah, something like that too. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's really funny. But so I think because of the widespread legality of – of alcohol we think of it in a very different sense than we do other drugs because i've always made the joke or i mean i've been making it since i kind of stopped drinking is you know you don't go out with a group of friends and they ask you hey do you want to do some meth and you say no no no, i'm good like their response to that isn't why are you religious or something you know (laughs) and that's always the response to alcohol though like if you don't drink you're some kind of freak or weirdo but Nobody responds that way if you're talking about any other drug. Like and literally just, anything. I know. Yeah. I know. We've just made it so universal and so accepted that it, it seems as weird as if you didn't eat, I don't know, hamburgers or whatever. <laughs> and so it's, it's very bizarre to me. And this is just, you know, very recently that I've been reflecting on that. But 
I do find it funny that we think about alcohol very differently, even though it is it's a drug. And, and, and for all intents like, purposes. Oh yeah, and there's like colleges, like state schools that are sponsored by like Anheuser Busch. I think it's like U- University of Arizona. Their like swimming pool has like a Miller Lite or a beer company like literally paid for their pool. Like, right, and you're not going to go to like Arizona and find the Pablo Escobar library, you know? And it's it's just yeah. so funny that that happens. What if you did? And what if it was That'd a really nice funny. library too? You're like, damn, it's Pablo. Sponsored by cocaine. Pablo. I mean, it makes sense. It's a good study aid, I would imagine. Yeah, I've never done cocaine, but I've I've or have I? I've taken Adderall, but prescribed by a doctor. So, sure. <laughs> so basically the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, how long were you uh, using for? I mean, I'd been drinking and, you know, probably drinking pretty excessively since I was about 19 or 20. And I think when you're that age, everybody's kind of drinking a lot. And like, so I to. like it's like, yeah, yeah. And I th- yeah. And I think I justified it that way, you know, looking around at your environment and the people that you hang out with where they're essentially doing the same thing. And so you are able to you aren't able to gauge at that point how you're using it to a different extent. And I always was. So I was, I got married, um, in 2014 and I was, you know, I'd still been drinking and, and my wife was never, you know, judgmental or cruel or, you know, mean about asking me to stop. But there were several times she had conversations with me about it and, you know, I would drink to the point of blacking out. I would be emotionally abusive. In all honesty, I'm lucky she didn't leave me because of it. And so there was an incident in July of last year that it wasn't even one of the worst things that had ever happened while I was drinking, but it, it just happened to be that arrow to the brain where I realized that I was really abusing it and that I needed to change something because if I didn't, you know, there was only a couple ways that it was going to end, and I kind of talk about that in the comic. Well, and I mean, it was your comic kind of like distills the stories I hear from all these different people. I mean, now at this point, like thousands and thousands of people I've worked with over the years, and your comic guy was just like, "Wow, you just hit all the fucking points in like like nine strips." So I was like, "Yep, yep, oh, yep, awesome. yep, 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 yep." Okay, to gonna die or I'm gonna rehab or death. Okay, makes sense. Okay, it was just like I don't know you kind of distilled it really perfectly. No, oh, thank you. Yeah, and, you know, that was one of the ideas behind it is I knew that I wasn't unique in that kind of an experience. So uh, I, I figured doing a comic about it, and, and, you know, this is almost anything in my life, it, it's a way to process it, and it's also a way to connect with other people. Oh, ex- yeah, I mean, that's – so what, what – you had a moment – like for some people, they don't have a moment. Some people have mo- several moments or whatever, but you had a moment that you actually uh, said, this is, this is it, I got to stop. I did, and I think after that, I thought of many preceding moments where I should have had that same epiphany, and it just didn't end up happening. But you know, on the other hand, it could have never happened at all. So I suppose yeah, I'm grateful for that. Absolutely, yeah. You, like, what, yeah, you just can't. Did you did you have to do a traditional detox route or any of that stuff? I didn't. I I honestly did it on my own because that's safe. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so well, not safe. no, it, it was for a very specific reason because yeah. I wasn't necessarily like a daily drinker. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't. I, I didn't 
get DTs if I didn't drink. I was a binge drinker. And I think people don't understand that that's also Uh, a form of alcoholism. Because there's these stereotypical Mm. ideas of what alcoholism is, like the people who drink every day and are drunk all the time. But there's actually several different forms. So Mm. I was more of a binge drinker. Okay. And I think Um, it must be mm. easier for someone to live with a binge drinker than a, a daily drinker. Well, I think so because from what I've read and I know in my own experience, there, you know, that's a more functional alcoholism to a degree because you still go to work, you keep your job, you know, you're able to function in those aspects. So sure, in one, on one hand, it's probably easier to live with because I'm still, you know, vaguely responsible. <laughs> but on the other hand, when it's bad, it's, it's pretty terrible. Yeah, it's almost like bipolar. It's just like the extremes. Absolutely. Yeah, that that switch flips, and all of a sudden, I'm not I'm not Alex anymore. I'm this other person, and inconsolable, and you know, cannot be communicated with. So that's I can only imagine how not only infuriating and and frustrating, but also terrifying and and scary that must have been. How long were you drinking for, would you say? Like, how many years? Well, like, would you... Because not... I don't know. Everyone's different. Like, for some people, it's like, I drank for this long, but it wasn't a problem only for maybe, like, last, like, year or whatever. Oh, no. I think it was always a problem for me, and I just didn't address it or identify it. And in the the last year or two leading up to my deciding to quit, it did get pretty dire. I mean, I was going through a bottle of whiskey either every other night or every night. Sure. And and there were, you know, there was emotional things that I was dealing with, and there were, you Next know. the drinking. Yeah, and, and everybody deals with those things. We all yeah. have our own issues. We all have our own aggravations, and yeah. I was just not dealing with it in a healthy way. Yeah, I, so, I, I forgot what they say, but they, it's like 85% of people with um, any sort of substance use disorder – has like an underlying trauma, and I think that number is probably higher. Either it's for a big T or small, like for a large trauma at the very least. Usually, a lot of people, it's just you know, um, it's it's hard. I mean, I, I mean, I had been I'm had been diagnosed with PTSD and yeah. worked through all that shit stuff too. It's it's dude, working through stuff's hard, and drugs are yes, fun and, and easy. Yeah, and you know, I've been diagnosed with OCD and anxiety and you know, a slew of other things. So, Oh my think, God. So it's like drinking. It's just like, I give you so much credit to quitting because then you have to work through all that with it. And I'm not sure uh, your experience, but like from talking with people and then the clients I've worked with, it's almost like people, it's like, um, you feel some people, I've heard people say they feel like they got stuck at a certain age when they started using, when you come out of it, like we always talk about like in groups and stuff, it's like, now you have to learn how to, uh, live with the bad feelings is the kind of thing we call it's cause like, yeah. And being grateful for that in a way. I mean, I know that sounds kind of odd, but no, no, absolutely. It's very, it's very Buddhist. With, yeah. There's a gratitude that comes with being able to experience those things and being able to, you know, be around, <laughs> be alive to then deal with them in that fashion. Yeah, one of the things my therapist and we taught us to teach you like cognitive reframe. So instead of saying like, I have to go to work and fight traffic, it's I get to go to work and fight traffic where it's right. you're, you're still complaining, but accepting the fact like, Oh, it's great that you even get to do 
that. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah, a complete rewiring of the brain is absolutely required at that point because you've you've dealt with your emotions and you've dealt with your pain in a very specific way for so long. You have to alter the way that you think. Now, have, were you making comics and art during this whole period? Surprisingly, yes. <laughs> I was still able to produce, you know, even through several years of decades of inexperience, I was, you know, a slobbering drunk a lot of the time and somehow was still able to hit the deadline and still got the, you know, the comic out every week. Um, oh, no, it makes total sense. Cause you know, what well, you just like anyone, like with, when, I don't know, um, like, you know, when you want to do something, when you, there's certain things, when you want to do it, like you, it's just going to get done. You don't even, it's like sleeping. You're just, you're not going to not sleep. So you're, you're not going to not drink. Like the thought would never even come into your head. So you, you'll work your entire life around it without even realizing it. No, and I had I had a bit of a, a regimen that I followed and sort of needed to lay out for myself where the nights that I knew I needed to draw, I would not drink. Yeah. Because if I was doing that, then I would – if I was drinking, if I even, you know, opened up that those floodgates, I would not be accomplishing <laughs> what I needed to accomplish, and I certainly wouldn't – you know, turn in what I needed to on time. And still married? Oh, yeah, still married. Uh, you know, lucky enough that uh, the woman that decided that I was a decent enough partner to stay with, uh, I'm lucky that she is still around and is dedicated and wonderful. Oh, that's so wonderful. Um, I'm imagining that you must have, like, it's almost like a whole new relationship in a new way where you're just like kind of rediscovering each other. And it's because one of the fun, the greatest things that work on people in recovery, it is just like, um, it's so I, I like, I tend to like working with people, uh, coming out of it, not the going, I've done both sides of it, but the, the, the side that mm -hmm. I like work, I'm have more experience with and tend to have better. I like more is the people coming out of it. Cause it's, mm -hmm. it's just such an interesting thing because it's almost like you're seeing, you, like I've heard it's I guess vulnerability is the word there's like a vulnerability to it like people in recovery are just generally the funniest fucking people you will ever meet because they've <laughs> they've been through it all they've said it all and there's like um I you know maybe I just I get I have like a low bullshit meter if I like don't sense authenticity I'm fucking checked out and people in yeah. re recovery I just feel like all that's out the window anyway they're like listen you know the shit I've done who cares let's just go for it like and, and usually it's like let's you know, no, there's there's something about it. I, it, um, it just attracts such it attracts everyone. That's the thing. It's just you meet everyone from all. Yeah, I think life. there's sort of a self assurance that comes with being in recovery to a degree, and you know who you are, and you're comfortable, or at least getting comfortable with that, you know, during that process. And so I think humor, in general, is is a good is a healthy coping mechanism. So I think the jokes that are made about that, and I do it too, you know, humor and laughing, you know, the, the whole trite idiom about it being the best medicine. I, I think there's a reason that that saying is out there oh, because yeah. I feel like it's very true and laughter can completely change your mood. Oh my goodness. Like a good stand up set. And your outlook. Absolutely. Like like um it's a john rivers quote it's like when you give when you make someone laugh you give them a vacation and i know like if no, you, that's a good quote yeah. yeah it's true like if you ever go to like a good comedy show like a good comedy show you feel like you walk out like you've been on vacation 
Right. Like you, you feel like you just come back from like Disney World or something. Like you're just chemically, you're just different. And yeah, you there's know, some sort of like life blinders that they're able to <laughs> construct for you where you don't have to worry about all of the trappings of real life while you're in that, you know, hour, hour and a half, two hour set. It's like one of the most like in the moment things you can be is like, cause when you're mm-hmm. laughing, you cannot think you can about anything else. You can't be anxious. You can't be fearful. Like you literally, it, it takes, I'm sure there's some neuroscience behind it, but like it takes everything in your brain. It's just, it, 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 you know, when you're having a good laughing fit, you can't even think if you tried. You know? Yeah, or breathe sometimes, which is which is good. <laughs> yeah, like some of the best comedy shows I've ever been to. Like I remember when my wife and I saw Tig Notaro a few years ago. Oh, like, she's I, amazing. Oh my god, I I still don't even understand how she's as funny as she is because like I, her she's just like we walked out of there. Like I honestly felt like I had come back from like a vacation. I was like <laughs> ten pounds lighter because she had this whole bit um, just reinvigorated. Yeah, <laughs> ready I, I, to take on the world just like i'm gonna do this she had this long running bit that she was good that the so this is she's performing at the columbus theater in providence rhode island so she had this bit where that her closing of her act was about how the indigo girls were about to come out which obviously they were going to come out because you're you know probably why it but then she just kept doing it to the point you started like are they really gonna come out and it kept going and like trying to explain it even to you right now i'm like it doesn't sound funny but the way, but it's Tig, and the way she had did it, like, I still think about it, like, like I'll just make, ladies and gentlemen, the Indigo Girls, and just, yeah. like, I mean. I could hear her saying it, though, so I could see why that would be funny, especially if she kept doing the callback to it throughout the show. Yeah, and then, it, oh my god, and then, like, because she would, like, it's ridiculous, they're not really, obviously they're not here, why would they be here this whole time, and she would explain <laughs> to you why there's no reason they should be back there. Anyway, ladies sort of with a nod and a wink. Yeah. Yeah, like she's like, I, you know, I, I know they're not there. You know, you're not there. But she was kind of playing on that, like, you kind of think they're back there, don't you? But it was right. just, and maybe if it was like in New York, LA, it would be a little bit different, but or like a San Francisco or like a bigger city. But like it was Providence, so obviously the Indigo Girls are not going to be sitting backstage for that whole time. Oh my god, it was so fucking great. But she just I, kind of makes them like Schrodinger's band. Yes. Oh my god, that's <laughs> such a good way to put it. Oh, it's like, are they there? Are they not there? And like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Yeah. But one of the best experiences, I mean, of all your work, how long have you been doing uh, Decades of Inexperience and Mr. Buttercup? So Decades of Inexperience just started its fifth year. Fifth Um, fucking year? How did you not quit? I don't know, man. I don't know if it's just ignorance or (laughs) stupidity. I have no clue, but it's still going. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, the the desire to mock my own life and ridiculous things I've done, I think that plays a big role in the continuation of the webcomic. Do you, um, uh, Mr. Do, you, do you pull from your experiences when you were using and doing dumb shit when you're drunk, or is it... Oh, absolutely. I, I, you know, I call it sort of, you know, tongue-in-cheek. I call it uh, semi-autobiographical, but it's it's more just culled from all of those experiences and then you know, played up for effect, exaggerated, uh, yeah, but it's yeah. definitely, it's definitely influenced and informed by my life for sure. Do you, do you think like, whereas like, then you have something like, yeah. hmm? oh, sorry, so like, do you, maybe like a, like a subconscious level, is there a part of you does it that way? It's like kind of as a reminder to yourself to be like, don't be that guy again. Yeah. And I said that, I think even on, um, we were talking about Adrian has issues. I was 
uh, speaking with him recently. And I think I even said that on, on his show where it's definitely a way to hold myself accountable because That's then you true. have this record of, you know, maybe some embarrassing <laughs> things you've done that you can then look back on and know why you don't want to do them again and have that very tangible, <laughs> you know, record of it. With some plausible deniability because you kind of, you know, change or whatever, but which... Well, which it would I, be if I didn't go on every podcast saying, yes, this is things this I've is done. exactly what I did. That, that doesn't help me out at all with the yeah, den- no, deniability. But, like, I mean, obviously, I, I think that's so it's that's so cool. And then, um, so five years for that. How long is Mr. Buttercups? Uh, Mr. Butterchips has been around Did since I, You know what? I knew it was Butterchips, but I can't read I my it. own writing. And my I'm looking at it, my H and the I. It looks like a U. And I, so I do apologize. It's my I mean, fault. it's pretty it's, close. It's not a... Yeah. <laughs> no, Mr. Buttercups yes. is the alter ego to Mr. Butterchips, and they hate each other. Right. That's like the bizarro world, Mr. Butterchips. <laughs> bizarro. Me, Mr. Butterchips. <laughs> so that's... that has been out since may of 2016 i think and that was that's been a monthly um so there's but that's going into yeah i guess this would be four years this may that that he's been around man and funny enough he actually started we were talking about the comic strips he started as a piece of an ensemble cast that i had written a comic strip series about which ultimately went nowhere but i always found that character mr butterchips very compelling and I think subconsciously I always kind of wanted to do something with him. And so when the opportunity arose with Drunk Monkeys, I just jumped at the chance. Yeah, even like when I read that Watterson biography, I think um, like a lot of – he had a strip before that, and a lot of that stuff became the early inspiration of like Calvin Hobbes. So like you said, it, it ultimately went to nothing. But like when you're creating something, like it doesn't though because even if uh, that particular thing you made didn't – financially go anywhere or get made whatever it you know there's sometimes there's a seed of something and something that doesn't work out that becomes yeah. the, the thing which pretty much i feel like that's everyone's story for all the time it's like yeah, i tried this didn't perfect. work but it turned it morphed into this or whatever right because like you said there's always that that seed or that germ of an idea which will you know then develop and sprout if you will uh, you know as you go along and so for me, Mr. Butterships was definitely one of those um, ideas that was a long time coming, but it needed that room to kind of incubate and develop, I think. I said, wow, five years. That's really fucking crazy that you've been doing those for that long. So you, you, you're, so you, are you just like a constantly, uh, just constantly creating art? Like just, you're not a sit still <laughs> type? Yeah, kind of, uh, you know, cause for, the majority of that time I was also working a day job. So it would be, you know, eight hours of your quote unquote normal job and then come home and spend five, six hours a night on either one of those strips or the graphic novels that I've done uh, or the, or the graphic novel submission, which then got me my literary agent who were pitching that book now. So yeah, I think there, I'm always sort of in some stage with some project or another how long did you have to do the day job uh, hobby to turn the like what was your balance to make the hobby the career like how long did that take you oh i mean i i'm still kind of working on that part i'm only out of a day job now because my wife and i are moving which clearly we chose a fantastic time to do that yeah Uh, where are you moving from from where to where so again we're in the sort of central coast of california yeah. And we're moving up to the Bay Area. So we're moving about oh. an hour and a half 
hours north. Are you able to do that right now? I have no idea. This is going to be a very interesting couple of weeks. But I mean, it just kind of it was yeah. planned for months, so it kind of yeah well, was I out guess, of our control at that point. I guess gas stations are open. Yeah, gas stations are open, and that's I, really I don't think it'll be an issue. I'm hoping not. I mean, unless our state goes into complete lockdown like they're doing in you know Spain and Italy and places, but I don't foresee that happening in the next couple weeks, which is when we'll be actually relocating. So I yeah. think we're. I don't think that we're going to need to. And part of my understanding of Spain and Italy was just because of their lack of response to begin with. Not right. that we're much better, but um, we'll make this a oh. podcast about things that are making us happy and not nervous. But can, right. good luck to you uh, on your move from A to B. But um, but still, so, so in between day jobs. Uh, but part of it, part of the idea was I talked to my agent, and we're trying to use the sabbatical as a time to kickstart maybe an illustration career to supplement the the pitching the the graphic novels and doing the books too. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean. It's going to be interesting to see what's happening with the changes of everything happening with uh, the art, but I feel like your position in a place where um, you're able to work alone and by yourself is going to be a very high and valuable art form for now and for the future, and especially with, like, reading and YouTubes and animation. Like, you're in a kind of that, in that sense, like, that. I feel like that industry is about to have a bigger explosion. Yeah, I mean, I hope so. Especially with Netflix, I mean, buying up all the animated... And the publishing industry has sort of found its footing with, you know, digital, um, you know, digital production of books. But it'll it'll certainly be interesting to see how it how this whole pandemic further affects the business model. Hopefully, positively. <laughs> hopefully, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Especially since I'm, you know, just getting my foothold in that world. <laughs> you know, my, right. The momentum was just starting to ramp up, and then you know this happened. So we'll see. But, um, you know, like you said, I'm remaining hopeful. We'll keep this positive and optimistic, albeit cautiously. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I feel like we're, we're kind of all learning, at least maybe it seems to be people our age or even older are just kind of learning. It just, in, in terms of communication and art, it does feel like we're just kind of learning what, like, 18-year-olds have been doing this whole time. Yeah, I mean, they were they all came out of the, you know, the tube with a like an ipod in their hand they're just like delivered in the delivery room with some sort of portable device yeah so this is kind of like forcing everyone to just like because i don't use twitch i don't do any of that like i i don't really watch youtube i mean i I use youtube but i don't i don't watch youtube i don't follow youtubers i mean not yet at least but it's kind of like this seems like a really good interesting thing that might be put put positioning like myself hopefully audio being one of them like podcasts be like more of a thing because it's like well, well i don't because it's like more people are now going to be turning to them more than they used to because like oh, i've run out of my shows maybe i need that thing on like quib or whatever the fuck it's called <laughs> quibby i saw an ad for that yeah i have no idea but but like you said i think the move will the, the needle will move on on a lot of those as far as the popularity and the way that they're utilized by people what is your um Thoughts on like the cause so I guess I get I I my I'll put it this way when, when I'm at my 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 behavior health job I'm a quote unquote nerd but when I go to Comic Con I'm not even I'm I'll get shit for not being a big enough fan of any of that stuff so I'm I would say I'm someone who has my toe in the water of a lot of this stuff 
But I, I love the Marvel movies. But I'm the problem the, with a lot of comic book people. Like I've never like read comic books, but I like the movies. Where do you stand right. on the hot hole thing? Are you like uh, the movies? Hey, if it gets one person to buy a comic book, isn't that enough? Or are you like fuck you, get out of my community? <laughs> I, well, I mean, if I'm being honest, I'm probably closer to the latter. Only be well, not not like get out of my community, but as far as the movies are concerned. You know, the only people that are really making movies that get any attention or notice are Marvel and DC, and they don't need the money. So to me, you know, the comic books for them are losing sales. I think people see the movies and they see the attendance at the comic conventions, which are basically, you know, like 75% because of the movies. The comics for them are just promotional material at this point. They're not making money off of that. Really? So, yeah, I mean, they're losing money on those books every month, especially because you have you know, 18 different X-Men titles and 73 Spider-Mans, which I never understood. So I used to read Spider, or not Spider, superhero comics when I was, you know, younger. And I think it was a little more simplified at that point because there was maybe Spider-Man and, and Amazing Web of Spider-Man. And those were the only two we had to do. But for me, I've, I've definitely ventured more towards the alternative and indie books since I got back into creating comics in my 20s. So I've you know, read a lot of stuff by like Fantagraphics and Drawn in Quarterly and, you know, Slave Labor, SLG Publishing, uh, which exclusive, that's who I'm doing the Butter Chips collection with. I don't know if I'm actually supposed to announce that yet, but I'm going to anyway. Woo! So, yeah. That's really so, fucking cool, man. I'm so excited. It is. There's, there's some cool things in the works for sure. And, you know, I guess I'm announcing it now just because of everything that's happening. I think any... Any opportunity for happiness is is worth grasping. So I, I definitely gravitated more towards those types of books. And now, you know, the the trade publishers, Random House and Penguin and uh, you know Simon and Schuster, they all have graphic novel imprints too. So my interests definitely lie more in those worlds than they do in like the big two or even like a lot of what Dark Horse does. I'm not big on the fantasy genres per se and then that's just my personal well you know neither am i and that's why i think i was drawn to your work because i guess i like i said in the beginning i'm a calvin Hobbes fanatic which is like you know like you know but like um yeah i guess my thought for so many years is comic books were only sci-fi fantasy and then to kind of get as you're talking and and done a little research prior um from i've definitely tried to get into comic books here and there i just never been able to it's um yeah. I didn't realize how much of a world there are out there of not just uh, not just superheroes, I guess, essentially. And I love superhero stuff. It's just sure. um, I listen to like I listen to a lot of Fat Man on Batman, and I listen to like Bernard, Mark Bernardin and Kevin Smith talk about the comics they like read, and I'm like, oh my god, I wish I could oh, have. Yeah. So it's kind of cool. Um, well, the you... funny thing is that's such a specifically North American idea that's been perpetuated anywhere else in the world that's adopted comic books as an art form you, you know think of japan and, and manga and and europe and all of those places comics are thought of as any other sort of viable storytelling art form movies and novels they're right. thought of as right up with there but in north america because marvel and dc has had you know the industry in a headlock for so long i think you are Definitely not alone in thinking that, you know, your mind automatically going to superheroes when somebody says comic books. And, like, even the fact that, like, Marvel has made them into the most, or has made this the most popular, like, multi-billion dollar franchise of movies. Like, there's still people who don't respect comic, like, oh, you still like those comic book movies? And, like, 
Dude, it, well, it's like people like talking about Star Wars as it's like nerd culture. I mean, it's obviously it is, too, but it's like, but you're also like at work, like, oh, you like that nerdy stuff? I'm like, you're talking about the most popular thing in the fucking world. <laughs> right. It's right. not like we're talking about like a, a niche thing. It's like we're talking about, you know, Endgame. Like, it made what? Yeah. Bit, all the money? <laughs> yeah, it's not like Star Wars was some you know, relatively unknown that premiered at Sundance three years ago, and people treat it that way, which is bizarre. I know. It's like, oh, you mean the thing that I knew about before I ever saw it and, you know, or, had yeah. formed my own opinion about it negatively for many years? <laughs> right. So, yeah, I mean, it's kind of – and I think that sort of, over, you know, spills over into comic books too, that same kind of mentality. I still have it in me, and I, I, I got to try to get rid of it. It's it's tough. What, what do you yeah. – um, what do you recommend? So I try sometimes. You know, one thing for me is like I love the um, spider. Like I'll try to read like like I'll go to the library and get like a graphic novel or something. And mm-hmm. there's something I like, but then I like if I want to try like Spider Man or any of that, the bigger like those big ones, I don't know where to start. I'm like, and there's like 75 issues and 400 things and seven, so I kind of like get overwhelmed and just quit. Yeah, I wouldn't have any advice for you on on that front. I, I have no clue. Well, not like the I, big ones, but like, what would you recommend yeah. someone like who me like who likes Calvin and Hobbes and like, mm-hmm. like your, your kind of work? Besides, <laughs> no, you got. It. Uh, so, I mean, good primers are ones like Mouse by Art Spiegelman and Persepolis uh, by Marjane Satrapi, which both came out actually in the '80s. So they were you know, some of the first, if not the first graphic novels and mouse specifically is about art Spiegelman, uh, interviewing and getting to know his father and essentially just recording his father's experiences in the death camps of, of during the Holocaust. Uh, so there's two different volumes of it and they've been collected as one now, but mouse is a really great one. Persepolis is about Marjane's, uh, struggles and kind of coming of age during the um, Iranian war uh, of the eighties. Uh, yeah. So these, those are two are really good. Uh, the aforementioned my friend Dahmer by Dirk Bakter is a really great one. Uh, there's a guy named Tom Bayland who I really like. He did a, a series called true. What is it? True story. Swear to God, which was a really good one too. Um, I mean, I could send you, I could like send you a list of a ton of books. So those are some good places to start. Oh, um, uh, what is it called? Fun Home by Alison Bechtel. That's a really great one. Is that the one who made the Bechtel test? Well, so that actually started from her, uh, weekly strip, which was called Dykes to Watch Out For. But yes, that's where Bechtel test comes from. No way. Yep. I know it roots in comics. That's pretty cool. Yep, because she was she was one of the, you know, one of the major players in queer comics getting some popularity. So her web comic or not her web comic, her weekly comic, like I said, was called Dykes to Watch Out For, and it was just such a diverse cast, not just sexually, like sexual orientation wise, but also gender wise and race wise and culturally. So the whole idea was that you know, most art forms are dominated by men and women were just bit players who didn't have names. So then you have this comic that would, that gained a lot of popularity where lo and behold, each character had an actual personality. I and mean, a name. Have those, right? <laughs> yeah. So, so that's definitely where that derives from. And she's, she's just incredible. I love her work. 
Is she uh, still so alive? That... Oh, yeah. She's not. Oh. She, she, I think she's maybe late 40s, early 50s. Well, she's that made that... me sound like an asshole. No, no, you don't know about her. That's fine. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I listen to the Bechdel cast. That gets many points. Uh, I don't know about that, so you have more points than I do it's on that a movie, front. It's actually, it's actually a movie podcast, but it's oh, okay. It's very good. Yeah, I mean, that's where that comes from, though, so I would certainly recommend reading her book. Oh, that's so fucking cool, man. Um, so what are your thoughts on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse as a, a comic man? Yeah, again, I, I don't really read superhero books these days. I hate to say it. Oh, I, meant I'm... The, I meant the movie. The movie? <laughs> Oh, the movie was great. Okay, phew, because I think it's my favorite movie ever made. I'm not sure. It might be. I've definitely watched it like 500 times. Yeah, and that's the thing is I'm not actually like huge on the superhero movies as a whole, but I saw that and was absolutely blown away. I mean, the the animation style and the writing just, and the soundtrack, everything about it is just pitch perfect. The more I've watched it, which I'm actually staring at some Spider-Verse art I'm looking at right in front of me. That's why it's one of the things on my mind. Um... And I, I've watched it so many times, my wife and I are obsessed. But every time I watch it, it's the animation that keeps being the thing that still blows my mind a little bit more and more and more. Yeah. Like, I just, I don't know. I don't even know. Because they basically invented that type of animation. But my wife will always go, it's the only, it's the first comic book movie. My wife is like the bigger nerd of the two of us. But she's like, <laughs> That's, it's, the, she's like it's the only comic, it's the only movie, comic book movie I've ever seen that actually looks like a comic book. Right, and they did a lot of that with the the sort of zipatone, the dots. Um, That's what it's called, like paper. Yeah. So it, I mean, the zipatone was specifically a sheet that you used back in the day. Um, so I think that was actually the brand. Uh, but yeah, that's the dots that they used to color, um, like old comic strip and such. So they, I thought the implementation of that was really clever, and the the movie was just really well done. And then on a personal front, I know one of the co-creators of Spider-Man Noir. So there was another connection for me through that. Uh, back it up. The, the, the Nicolas Cage character? Yeah. You, your, your buddy, the, he, they made the Spider-Man Noir comic? Yes, correct. He was one of the co-creators of the character and worked oh on the comic. Because that's, I'm always, um, when I'm thinking of, when I want to look at comic books, I really want to kind of go actually think of it. I read Spider-Gwen, uh, some Spider-Gwen I really liked, but I really loved that one. That's one I always want to seek out. Yeah, his name is uh, Fabrice Sapolsky. He is one of the head editors at Humanoids, actually, right now. Oh, that's so uh, cool. Yeah, he, he's a really cool guy. And so there was that sort of connection for me as well, which was That must have been so fun. Did he, did, what was yeah. his opinion of the movie? I think he enjoyed it. I can't say I how you would an unkind world word from him, so... I mean, uh, I mean, it's Nicolas Cage. Right. And Fighting Nazis and drinking at groups. better could you have gotten to portray yeah. that character? I thought, oh, that's so fucking cool. Yeah, I mean, that's... Oh, man, I just... I really... I, I just love that movie so much, but... I, but what that's like... I feel like when I'm watching that, it makes me like, I want to go read comic books. Um, you know what other media or television, uh, you know, TV movie... Uh, the sh I know it's based off the graphic novel uh, I Zombie, which is like I love sure did that one, yeah. I love the show, and I know the show isn't like based as it, it, there, there's a lot of it's different than the actual comic book, but from the graphic novel. But every episode or every scene they cut into would always be a panel from a comic strip, and then it would nice. go into the real thing. And I, it's a show I just fucking adore. I've, I've it's one of I wanted to look into. I've just not watched it as of yet. 
but I do the creator of that. I know now, right? And I've Uh, had um, a couple of the people. I've had one of the actors and one of the writers on a couple times uh, as well. But it's it is if you're ever like a fan of like Veronica Mars, it's by the same creator. So it's like a lot of film noir. Like um, it's a really, it's just a really good show. If you ever like. I, I can't recommend it enough. It's already over, so that sometimes it's an easier sell. It's five seasons. Yeah. They, they they really the ending they fucking nail it. The first three are great. Four and five are the best. It gets better, and then it um, I think you'd like it. It's like if you like, okay. yeah, it's cool. It's it's a, a niche show, but it is um, it's like noir detective. Basically, the I've heard it described by Rob Thomas as zombies with day jobs. I'm not a big zombie person, but it's like they're, you know, yeah. you know the strength well, of the comic. But it's and really the book good. was created by one of my favorite uh, comics guys out there named Mike Allred, so I would definitely be interested in it for that aspect alone. Yeah, it's all on Netflix. And okay, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. Are there other like things that you like, like started off as comic books or novels, graphic novels that have become like part of pop culture that you like? Uh, let's uh, let's not poo poo on stuff. That's something that like you that you like celebrate. Uh, yeah, because I could poo poo on stuff all day, but we'll keep it positive. Hey, you can um, poo poo all you want. I don't. It's not my job. I'm lying. <laughs> no, it's fine. Uh, you know, well, actually, I'll talk about something that I don't think got enough recognition, which was the movie Ghost World. Never heard of uh, it. And exactly, and that was based on a graphic novel by Daniel Klaus, who is an indie guy, really well known and rightfully revered and it was one of scarlett johansson's first acting gigs as i i believe it was done quite a while ago not ghost but in the shell right we're talking about something different it was well before ghost in the shell okay it was like a long time ago this one's called ghost world ghost world it's okay. it's uh, scarlett johansson and thora birch but really well done um nice. yeah i don't know if there's much that I mean, I guess my friend Dahmer, I, I know I keep talking about that, but that actually had a movie made about it pretty recently with a kid named Ross Lynch, who is, I think he was like a Disney star, but he's also on the Sabrina Netflix series. Oh, wow. He plays Harvey on Sabrina. My wife watches it. I, it looked too fucking scary for me. <laughs> oh, it's good. It's actually really good. I, I enjoy I mean, well, I won't say it's really good, but it's enjoyable. I've heard it's and, very good. I mean, I, I yeah. also like the original and Melissa Joan Hart, but I'm not like a I, – I, anything like scary, I just – I turn off. So it's nothing against it. I'm sure it's great. It's just not for me. Yeah, it's not It's not that scary. I mean, I wouldn't say it's akin to watching a horror movie. There are definitely yeah. some horror elements. <laughs> it's kind um, of you to, uh, to not uh, understand how much of a baby I am. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair it's not enough. about Sabrina. No, it's not even Sabrina. Yeah, no, it's me. It's not even Sabrina. I'm like, no, even like the slightest element of it, like the Joker, was a little too much for me. Okay, then yeah, definitely steer clear of Sabrina. You I was also watch. pretty stoned when I watched it, and then that doesn't help. No, and then I and then like <laughs> when you're watching scary things, anyway. Yeah. And then I walked out of it, being like, that was really good. And then some time went by, and listened to some um, a handful of podcasts, including Blank Check. And being like, maybe it wasn't that good, but I still enjoyed it, kind of. Well, I would I would say with him then, with Ross Lynch, at least watch My Friend Dahmer, because I feel like that was a pretty faithful adaptation of the, nice. the graphic novel. That's awesome. And he played Jeffrey Dahmer, which is interesting. Would you ever, I'm sure that must be a hope for you, is to sell some of your stuff to get made? You know, I we do talk about this, you know, obviously people ask me about it. 
And for me, it's weird because I don't think of it that way. I mean, if it happens, I, you know, if somebody enjoys something that I create enough to want to adapt it into a different format, that's fantastic. Uh, but for the Thank way you. that I, I feel like my mindset is just, I'm creating this story in this format and I want to do this to the best of my ability. So thinking about having, I mean, I guess with Mr. Butterchips, that has sort of more of a natural route to like an animated series or something for mm. me in my mind. But otherwise, yeah, I, I don't really think about that too much. Funny enough. You're open to it, but not creating it specifically for that. I'm open to it if done right. Sure. I think I'd. If they back up know, the money truck? <laughs> not even that. I, I would just want it to be done well. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that happens for you and you get the money truck as well. Well, okay. So here's the thing is I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. We're take, no one's saying no to the money truck. We just want it to be good. I have integrity, but I'm not a fucking moron. Yeah. Um, so you know, if you're going to you know, show me your adaptation of what I'm doing and it's great and I think it's faithful to it and you want to give me piles of money, of course I'm going to do that. Yeah, if you want to make me like Scrooge McDuck rich, I'm good. Yeah, Mama didn't raise no fool. Yeah. Which I, I'm ashamed to say that I didn't know that started as a comic book. Oh, really? No, but I, I, do you happen to watch the new DuckTales on the, uh, the Disney whatever the fuck it's called? No, I'm not I'm not a big fan of the new styles, honestly. It all kind of looks the same to me. I have no ties to it. I really like it, but I, 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 that's the only thing. I just didn't because it's supposed to be kind of like the, the original comic book, but I don't know enough about it. But I just really yeah, like it. I love the original Ducktail series. I definitely watched that when I was a kid. I did too, and I tried to watch it again. I'm like, nah. But the new uh, one, it's, it does it for me. Well, then that one that filtered into Darkwing Duck, which was a it was a cartoon that I really loved as well. Oh, huge fan! I had the uh, creator on. Oh no way. Yeah, Tad Stones, and it was one of my highlights because I'm a huge Darkwing. He like, he's like one of those old Disney cats who like did like I think he he didn't make he made Darkwing Duck. He made Chippendale. He oh yeah worked on Duck. He it seemed like from talking with him, there's only like a handful of people that did all of the Disney Afternoon stuff. But Darkwing Duck Sounds is one right. of those that all kind of holds up. But what I like about the new Ducktales is it takes the canon of the cartoon. The original cartoon and the comic book and the Disney afternoon and kind of makes their own universe. So, like, uh, sure. in the new DuckTales series, Darkwing Duck exists as, there's like, as a, um, kind of like a Batman character. Like, Darkwing Duck exists <laughs> as Darkwing Duck, but he's played by Jim Cumming, or Jim Sterling, by an actor named Jim Sterling. And they do, like, this whole Nolan episode, kind of. Like, there's a lot of Darkwing Duck in it, and it's it's really cool. Like, the people who made it are, like, our age. So it's cool getting yeah. to grow up with the same stuff, but it's really cool. Yeah, I, I like Darkwing Duck, right. especially yeah, once that uh, came to uh, Disney Plus. I was like, ah! <laughs> I, I, I was a big. I, yeah, I'm. I don't know. It's so weird. I've always had this weird gap where like, I love animation, but I just never went back to the comics. And I know Darkwing Duck. I didn't know that Darkwing Duck continued on as a comic book. I didn't realize how many. It wasn't until I interviewed a comic book shop owner a few years back, who I kind of knew through Adrian. Um, in Jersey that like per, I went to his shop it's called Eastside Mags and uh, but it was like all the t I didn't know like I was watching the show Arrow like Arrow had its own comic strip or comic book and yeah. then they made like a comic book based off the TV show and like all mm. the, I know The Simpsons has like hot, thousands of comic books at this point 
Yeah, Greening started his own publishing company for that Bongo Comics. And yeah, I read. I've read a bunch really of that. smart about that. Yeah, he's okay. he's incredibly business savvy in a way that I will never understand. I, I that from what I've read about him, it seems like as he put it, it's just the piece that he always says he gets more credit than he deserves, and just dumb luck is what he called it, which maybe he's being or, modest. Or he surrounds himself with really yeah you know, remarkable people who are because I'm like well, I don't know, man, because you struck gold more than once. <laughs> Yeah, precisely. Like, so I had read the uh, Futurama Simpsons Crisis crossover com- uh, graphic novel. I, I love I own that. So, yeah, I guess I like comics more than I give it credit for. I guess I'm still, I have that headspace of like, oh, it's only superhero stuff. But then I just named off like 30 things that I didn't really put into that same category. So I guess it is. I didn't know that was such a North American thing. That's kind of interesting to learn. Yeah, and what I find interesting too is is – that's a lot of conversations that I have with people where they say, you know, I don't really like comic books. And then you start talking about the pop culture, you know, things that you do like. And, and you say, yeah, that was from a comic book. Yep, that was from a comic book. And nobody even knows. No. Because there's just been this – these two companies and this one genre that's dominated the comics industry in, in North America for so long that it's just sort of the – the knee-jerk reaction to when somebody says comic books, you say, I don't like superheroes. When it's comprised of so many more genres than that. Oh, that's what, that's, it's good, man. It's, and I'm glad you're out there fighting a the good fight and to enlighten people like me. You'd be like, oh yeah, maybe I do like this stuff more than I gave it. So I definitely like it more than I realized. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of people do. I don't know, there's some, there's some like weird opposition to the, to the format, <laughs> you know, because people think of it as cartoons or for kids and, it's just this really weird mindset here. I but you... I think that's shifting a little bit because uh, the trade publishers are putting out so many books now and really quality books. You know, I... there's everything from memoir, you know, and again, queer comics and people of color and, you know, just this great, you know, sea of diversity and different stories and different vantage points that are out there now that I think that or I hope that that's shifting the mindset a little bit I mean we live in an era where the Simpsons has been on for what 30 years and people will still say that kid that 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 uh cartoons are for children animation cartoons are for kids so right. it's it's a hard boulder to get up that hill so the fact that it's gone as far you, is amazing but um man, before we kind of get wrap it up is there anything uh I missed or anything we missed you want to hit up or if not uh where can people find you online um, well, I will just mention that, like I said, I am represented by a literary agency called Stamola Literary Studio. And starting tomorrow, they're putting out, they're presenting, a, like, I think it's 50 plus events at this point, live streaming events for people who are quarantined at home, have their kids. There's going to be read alouds from the different authors and illustrators there. There are going to be, you know, drawing workshops. I'm going to do one on April 3rd, Friday, April 3rd at 2 o'clock, and I'm going to present the anatomy of a comics page, just sort of showing people how you create that. So go to stamolalive.com, and there's the whole list of events there. But otherwise, yeah, decadesofinexperience.com um, has the archives of that up. Uh, drunkmonkeys.us is where all of the Mr. Butterchip strips are. And if you just want to keep up with my stuff, you know, if you're bored and on the shitter and want to read my blog, you can find it at alexschumacherart.com. Awesome. Uh, thank you so much. And um, 
Oh, man, that was so much fun. Uh, have a good rest of your night, and I'll uh, uh, probably tomorrow at some point I'll look at the calendar and figure out when it all goes up, and I'll, I'll obviously I'll talk to you before then. So I'll, Yeah, that's great, man. I'll be yeah, it was a pleasure. Then. so I'm much. Glad, I'm glad we finally got to make this work and had to push it like a billion times, but I'm glad we got it to work. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad it worked out too. <laughs> awesome. Have a good rest of your night. All right, Chris, take care, man.